Welcome to the 14th episode of the Cranky Flyer interview. We're doing things a little different today. Instead of an airline exec, I've got a pilot. Captain Corey Frank flies for United Airlines. You might recognize the name. He wrote the book Three Feet to the Left, and I wrote the foreword for it. I wanted to sit with him, talk a little bit about his book and about his background, which we do for the first few minutes. But Corey flies the 737 for United, and he's even flown the Max a couple of times. Well, he did before it was grounded. I wanted to sit with him and pick his brain a little bit about the airplane, learn more about it, and see what it's like sitting in the left seat. I'd like to thank this week's sponsor. Well, we don't have a sponsor, but you can imagine Boeing might like this one. If you'd like to be a real sponsor, email me at cf at crankyflyer.com. On with the show. All right, Corey, I want to thank you for joining me today to talk shop here a little bit. But, but before we get into that, I want to give people a little bit more information about your background. So uh, Corey has written a book called Three Feet to the Left, A New Captain's Journey from Pursuit to Perspective. And you can find that on Amazon. And really, you should, because I wrote the foreword and you really want to read that more than anything else. Right, Corey? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> right. But so, Corey Frank, so you have flown the 737. Uh, in fact, I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm going to just let you talk about your background so people can can learn more about you. Great. Well, th- uh, thanks again for letting me be here and talk to some of your listeners. Um, you know, I've been a pilot with Continental Airlines and United Airlines. I started with Continental in 2006, and then we merged in uh, 2010 with United. Uh, I flew the 757 and 767 for about uh, almost five years, and then transitioned over to the 737 around the time of the merger. Uh, ended up, uh, be- I've been based in Newark and also out in Chicago, which is where most of the book takes place. Uh, and I actually did upgrade to captain while I was out there in Chicago. But prior to that, I was I worked, flew for American Eagle, now Envoy, where I flew the Saab 340 and the Embraer, uh, the ERJ-145 for, uh, for them down in Dallas-Fort Worth, mostly to you know, regional destinations around Texas and such. So um, it's, uh, it's been an interesting, in- interesting career path, as uh, many have, and I've been very fortunate uh, with some of the timing and, and things as, as that's gone along. So, so the book is, is sort of frozen in a moment in time, right? This is fairly soon after you're upgrading, and a lot of this is about the, the big shift uh, from first officer to captain and, and a lot of what you have to deal with. Uh, but how long have you now been captain so that people have this sense of time? Oh, yeah, that's a a great question. So I upgraded in the middle of 2013. So it's almost been six years now, which is hard to believe. It's like, yeah, and you were one of the youngest captains or the youngest captain at the time, I guess, right? For United? At the time, I was the youngest captain, which is purely a function of luck and timing to uh, a large extent. Um, I, I know that they've had younger captains than me in the past. It was just at that particular moment in time, I happened to, um, happened to be the youngest. I was 31. And so you're not even 40. You've got a lot of years of captaining left. We'll call that a word, captaining. <laughs> At least I, I hope that's the case. So we'll <laughs> never take anything for granted, but uh, I'm cautiously optimistic about that. And, right. it, and it's been, a, you know, that I think that was part of why I wrote the book was that it, it was just such a big transition. And a lot of pilots, admittedly, they go, um, they will experience that at the regional level. Um, I, I never did upgrade at uh, American Eagle. And so my first upgrade came at a major. And as I, I started to realize, like it is a very distinctly different role. 
as a captain than a first officer, uh, much more strategic than the first officer being tactical uh, or more tactical, I should say. And uh, so as you adjust into that role, as you realize that you're the one that is ultimately responsible for uh, everything from the, the passengers, the plane, the crew, uh, as you're traveling all across the country. And in my case, you know, we fly the 737 into a lot of destinations down in Central America, even up uh, just recently got checked out on Bogota. Uh, so now I'm taking that down to the northern tip of uh, South America and all the way up as far north as Anchorage uh, as well. So it's a, a lot of variety of flying, a lot of different types of weather and environments and uh, all of that goes into it. So you're, you're getting all kinds of interesting experience. And I know some of that you talk about in the book. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, I definitely was hopeful, you know, when I, when that, that year was very transformative for me on so many different levels, like, uh, both as a person because of things that happened inside and outside the flight deck, but also, uh, well, it, I, you know, as I sat back after the people had recommended to me when they found out I was going to upgrade a number of captains had said, Corey, keep a journal. That's my advice. Keep a journal. Cause you won't believe the stuff that happens to you. And so I kept a journal really for the first time in my life, and I couldn't believe the stuff that happened to me. Um, so at, at the conclusion of that year, I sat back and thought, you know, I think there's a story here. And then, of course, uh, as a pilot and uh, or flight attendant, for that matter, uh, you're constantly getting asked what it's like to be an airline pilot or, you know, for my colleagues that are flight attendants, they get the same questions about life on the road. And so I, I really wanted to do twofold. I wanted to share my story and, um, uh, you know, that leadership journey that I, I underwent. But then I also wanted to bring readers with me. I wanted to put them in the cockpit. And as I know, a lot of whether you're a business traveler or leisure traveler, you get on board the airplane, you stare at that cockpit door and you wonder what really happens in front of that door. Uh, so I wanted to put them as though they were make them feel like they were sitting in the jump seat as we're battling thunderstorms and blizzards and going, you know, dealing with passenger issues or uh, any number of these other things. So to really make it vivid and feel real for them, which. Yeah. And we can go through those stories here, but we shouldn't do that because no one will buy the book if we do all that. But, uh, you know, the, I, I know for me, I mean, we talked about this, uh, the flying into Mexico City with those thunderstorms, that was just making me anxious looking at that. Uh, and then the the one in Washington, D.C., where you kind of had to make that call about the uh, last minute guy getting on the plane and what to do with his bag and all that. And that that's one of those sort of little thought about things uh, that I, I think a, a passenger really likes to see and that has to go in even to smaller things like this. And quite honestly, how I didn't always make the right decisions or how I, I had to learn from some of that. Um, you know, there were a lot of uh, times throughout the year where either another pilot or in that case, flight attendants helped me to realize that uh, I wasn't necessarily seeing the whole big picture, which really is the job of the captain and in generals to keep that big perspective. So, again, we can talk about this forever, but I'd rather not so that people actually go and get the book. Uh, but let's talk about something that has has happened since that time. And you're in a fairly unique position uh, as a 737 captain, an airplane that has garnered a great deal of uh, scrutiny lately, uh, at least it's its newest model, the Max. I'm wondering if you can talk about flying the 737 
uh, you know, as a, as a pilot in general, you have people that are concerned about the 737 as an airplane, not just the MAX, which has been grounded and obviously has some of its own issues, but starting to creep in this this sense of concern, uh, I think, you know, for the, for the layman, for someone outside the industry. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about just uh, your experience of flying the 737 and, and, you know, how you feel about the aircraft in general, not just the MAX. Yeah. Well, and this is probably a good time for me to reiterate that, you know, these are my thoughts and mine alone. And in no way am I speaking officially for United, Alpa, Boeing, or anybody else. This is just me, a guy who flies a 7.3 and who's flown the MAX uh, twice. Um, I read the same news articles uh, as you. And so I'm, you know, trying to uh, gather what's going on with, with that situation, just like anybody else. So please take any of my comments there with a, a huge grain of salt, but uh, all right, disclaimer noted. So, <laughs> so let, but just just talk about it in general a little bit about you know how you feel about the stability of the airplane and the safety and all all of that. That aside, I have to say that I've had nothing but positive experiences with the 737 um, in general, and even with the Max. Uh, you know, the the 737 obviously is a workhorse. It's been around forever. Um, I, you know, I will say that as a pilot, I personally enjoyed flying the 757 a little bit more. Everybody's got their favorites. It was just a little bit roomier and just uh, was, from a pilot perspective, I, it's hard for me to imagine beating that. But I've heard guys say that about the DC-10 and everything else. So everybody's got a little bit uh, of a different preference. But the Maybe, but I've never heard anyone say they prefer flying a 7.3 over the 7.5. <laughs> and there's probably some, some reasons there. You know, it's Every plane has a different feel to it, and the, the 757 was just, uh, you know, rock solid, stable, and the 73 makes you uh, makes you work a little bit more. Uh, but by no means should that, you know, that I'm just as confident in the 737 taking that into the the gustiest, windiest situations as I ever was in the 757. And now that I have more time in the 73, I'm probably even more confident, you know, in that. And one of the best parts with the 737, which has been talked about um, a lot, is that it still has, uh, you know, cables going out from the controls all the way to the uh, the control surfaces and the wings and the tail. So uh, ultimately, like the hydraulics, the electrics, all of that, it's it's like power steering uh, that you you uh, should can be able to turn off and and keep flying. Granted, it takes a little bit more elbow grease, but it it get, definitely gets the job done, you know, and from a pilot's perspective, like, uh, you know, the displays and the automation that we have in the NGs, the 7.3 NGs, and especially the Max, um, they, they're exceptional. Um, you know, I think one of my biggest, when we flew the Max, uh, one of the first times that I flew the Max was from Houston to Fort Lauderdale. And uh, we have a brand new radar system, for example, in the max and uh, we had a tremendous number of thunderstorms and things that we were trying to navigate around and it was really really neat to see the precision of that radar and these much larger uh displays it just made it you know very it was com very comforting as a pilot to be able to maneuver through with precision around around the weather and ironically that day the we happened to have one of the designers from honeywell on board so we get off the plane in fort lauderdale and guy comes up to us kind of corners us and was like what'd you think of the radar and so we had this long back and forth because it turns out he was one of the guys that helped design that system but uh, nice. we 
we fly that thing all over the place, and, and there's no better variety in United's network than being on the 737, and especially 737 in Newark with all the Caribbean flying and everywhere else that we take it. So when, when you were trained on the MAX, uh, it, it obviously was not much uh, additional training as, as we've learned through the media and, and you know through a whole variety of sources. It sounds like it was all computer-based training, um, no sim time or anything like that, right? That's correct. And so when you walked on that airplane for the first time, did you feel comfortable at that point? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that anytime you fly a new airplane, even once you come out of training, uh, because that's routine, right? The, uh, when you, the first time you fly a particular airplane, it has paying passengers on board. And so we said, I said to the first officer, uh, I said, look, we're going to, we're going to take our time. We're going to go as slow as we need to. And, um, uh, we'll dot all the I's and cross all the T's and make sure we're both comfortable before we go flying. Uh, and the truth is it was the biggest difference that we noticed was starting the engines just takes longer because of the new, uh, leap engines. But once you got them, once you got the engine started, uh, it was almost a non-event. I thought it taxied smoother. It actually flew in many ways smoother than, uh, than, than the NGs. Uh, I, I had, they've done so much work and, uh, to try to make this as, as similar as possible to, for the pilots to feel at least that, that, it, that it, the airplane is flying the same way that, like I say, on my two flights, I, I, I had nothing but positive experiences and most, you know, obviously I can't speak for all pilots, but the ones that I have, uh, that I know who have flown the max, I really suspect that they would agree with that. Now, the, the Max, uh, obviously, on the two flights you were on, you didn't have a uh, angle of attack sensor disagreement. So <laughs> let's hope that never happens uh, to anyone ever again. But, uh, you know, obviously, those are, are at least uh, seem to be starting the uh, the chain of, of issues that have led to two accidents so far, from the best we know, at least. Uh, and so I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk a little. I mean, we, we've seen... Some of these pilots uh, that may not have known how to respond, we've seen others who uh, maybe have responded appropriately in one way, but then let their speed get away from them or whatever it might be. It seems like a very busy cockpit. There's a lot going on. Is this something that you know you would, would still feel comfortable flying today, knowing that you could have an AOA disagreement and, and you, know, you could run into this type of problem? Obviously, that's not happening because they're going to fix this before the airplane's flying again, uh, or, or at least improve the MCAS system. Uh, but would you feel comfortable still flying it today, having seen you know how some of these crews have struggled? Yeah, you know, I think that no pilot, myself included, ever likes to see any accidents, uh, particularly mechanical ones, because we obviously put a lot of trust and faith into the equipment and uh, the way that they're maintained. Um, but, you know, I also would say while there have been the accidents in this case, this isn't obviously the first plane that's been grounded um, when it when it came out. Um, I take a lot of confidence personally in, in the process that this is going through, that um, especially with the media attention. And uh, I think everybody here wants to get this done right. So if there are tweaks to the systems that need done, if there's uh, training that needs to be implemented, I feel confident that the as the process plays out um, and the data leads the way, um, we'll find out what exactly happened with Lion Air and with Ethiopian and 
and we'll see how this moves forward you know for all the carriers that are using them you know eventually um, when it gets returned to service i think it's that we've seen this process play out in the past with other incidents and aircraft uh, groundings and such and the the whole goal here is to keep the process safe so um, when the FAA, especially with the attention that's been given, when they finally give the the, the green light, um, I personally w- will have no problem getting in that airplane and going flying again. What do you think it'll feel like when that happens? I know after the after the Lion Air accident, uh, you know, people said, OK, well, this is an MCAS thing. Now everyone knows about the MCAS. This could never happen again. And then it, it happens with the Ethiopian aircraft. Uh, and, you know, what does that do mentally to someone who's flying a 737 when you step back into the MAX? Do you think that's something that that kind of sits in sits in the back of your mind or or does it just sure. make you even more vigilant and ready? I think that, you know, it, obviously it's hard to it would be it'll I would imagine that when we fly, I fly that again, those accidents would be in the back of my mind. The nice thing there is that it, you there would be a fix. There'll be. Uh, procedures in place and you'll be ready for it you wouldn't have the surprise factor in that you know there's lots of auto accidents every single day and I still get in my car and I go drive and I I'm more cognizant because I know that certain things can happen but um, you know a a lot of times I think that is when when you're when you're flying these these things um, you know I like to to, it's it's somewhat similar to uh, was it Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So uh, <laughs> here we get it's, it's time for our business school lesson of the day. Yeah, right. Uh, no, it's my job as a pilot is first and foremost to fly the airplane. And so that's like my basic level. So anytime something comes up in the simulator or in the uh, when, when they're pushing us in the simulator or when we're out on the line, uh, that's my first focus. Like the nice thing we're, we're we train to remove levels of automation, bring it back to the base, most basic functionality. And that's my basic goal is fly the airplane, keep the shiny side up. Um, and then as the captain, they can step back. Once that's satisfied, we move up a level and you start to say, OK, well, how do I how do I diagnose this problem or problem or what is the problem, really? Uh, and how do I diagnose it? Then, OK, now I've diagnosed this. Now, how do we rectify this through the, the checklist and the procedures that we have and, you know, I think that some of those, some of this will be, yeah, you'll be thinking about these accidents, but uh, I, I feel confident in this process and that it's it's data driven, that everything is moving, they're, they're being diligent, they're taking their time. No one, whether, at least I would imagine that the FAA, Boeing, nobody wants this to continue uh, or to have other issues. The last thing I can imagine purely speculate on my part, but the last thing that I could imagine is that they would want to return this airplane to service and have additional additional issues. So I feel like the, the I's are being dotted, the T's are being crossed, and uh, while that stuff will be in the back of my mind, I, I, suspect, uh, I suspect we're going to find that it's a, it's, an, it's a great airplane for the mission that it's designed for. Well, good. I think uh, we should wrap it here. We can do this all day, but... Uh... 
I'm guessing you don't have all day. If anyone is uh, flying United, look for uh, Captain Frank sitting up front there. And uh, uh, if you are not flying United, you should still go buy the book. Again, it is called Three Feet to the Left, A New Captain's Journey from Pursuit to Perspective. You can get it on Amazon and they have Kindle and paperback versions. Uh, And anywhere else you want people to find you, Corey? Uh, you know, if, if they want to connect on LinkedIn uh, or social media, uh, you can just find me at Corey Frank. Those are uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and uh, Instagram. Well, there you go. I want to thank Corey for sitting and talking about this. And if you do want to get his book, head on over to Amazon. Also, I want to thank my sponsor. Again, I didn't have a sponsor. Nothing changed in the last 20 minutes. But if you'd like to be one, CF at crankyflyer.com. Thanks for listening.